Hi, it's Tiffany from Talk Tea Speech. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Talk Tea Podcast. This is episode 10. Woohoo! We are in double digits for the amount of podcast episodes. Um, and today we are talking about all things early intervention. This is going to be the part two of the Q&A questions. Again, these questions are coming from my Instagram at TalkTeaSpeech, T-A-L-K-T-E-A-S-P-E-E-C-H. I think most of you who are listening are coming from Instagram anyway, but if you're not following me over there, I have 600 plus posts, all things speech therapy, early intervention, baby things, mom things, so go ahead and give it a follow. Okay, so if you don't know already, I've been in early intervention for the past six years. It's really all I know. Um, the second I graduated grad school, I started my clinical fellowship in early intervention, and I've been there ever since. I've only recently stopped to take a break because I had my daughter, and I've recently been staying home with her, and just seeing what next steps are as far as taking on private clients or maybe taking on a few early intervention cases. But this is my bread and butter. <laughs> All right, let's get right into it. First question, what are your must-haves for early intervention? What to bring? Best activities? My answer for this one has definitely changed over the past few years because my therapy style is so different now. When I first started, I definitely brought everything. I would bring all different puzzles, an animal puzzle, maybe one with letters. I would bring a whole barn set. I would bring sensory things, just everything I could basically find and fit into one big bag because I was always nervous that the child would get bored and we would run out of things to do. So that was something that was just like a crutch for me to bring everything I have. Um, but now it's different because ever since COVID, when we weren't allowed to bring anything other than a notepad to have parents sign off on the session, it really forced me to work with what they have. And I think that's the point of early intervention, working with what the family has at home, because when you're done with your session and you leave, you're not coming back for a whole week. And we want to empower families to use your strategies with what they have rather than rely on the materials that you bring. So we want them to see that you can use these strategies even even when I'm the SLP, when I'm not there. So I really encourage you to try bagless therapy where you're not bringing your whole bag of things. Just come in, little notebook, work with what the child has, their favorite toys. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. You know, you can play with pots and pans, a cardboard box, get creative with the materials that you're using. You could even have a piece of paper and draw farm animals on it and have them work on animal sounds. It's challenging, but it will definitely push you to get more creative and think outside the box. And it's not easy, but once you get into the swing of it, you'll love it because you don't have to lug this huge bag around. I remember being uh, in the winter and having all of these really icy driveways and then having to open the trunk and grab this big bag and maybe the driveway was on a big hill. It's just dangerous. So the easier, um, the less things that you have, the easier it really is. And it's also empowering families. So it's a win-win. It just takes some practice and getting used to. 
So I know the question was, what are your must-haves for EI? And me saying, oh, just go with nothing could kind of be an annoying answer. So I will give you three different staples that if you must bring something, these are my top three things, a book, a puzzle, and a ball. You can do so much with one book, even if it has one word on it. I talk about this on my Instagram. I can really drag out one page of a book because you're just pointing out every single thing on a page. You can have sound effects added to it. Look at you know how you can relate what's on this page to what they're seeing at home. Maybe there's a squirrel in the book and you look outside and, oh, look, a squirrel outside. So those are things that you can do with the book. Uh, a puzzle, always good. Something that can keep the child's interest. You can take the puzzle pieces in and out and model that. Oh, in, take out. And you can have the puzzle pieces maybe in a Ziploc bag so you can have them request for more before they move on to the next page. So there's a lot to target there with puzzles. Again, animal sounds if you're doing an animal puzzle. But whatever it is, you can always model simple uh, words and sounds. And then finally, the ball, you can use that for turn taking. Maybe you roll it back and forth to each other or you take turns kicking the ball. My turn your turn, adding those action sounds, kick or wee as the ball goes, or let's roll the ball. So you're modeling action words. So like I said, if you must bring something, the book, ball, a puzzle, those are my top three. But if you don't, uh, that's the best way, I think, and just go in and be creative. Okay, next question. What do you do when a child does not want to listen or want anything that you present to them? This is super common in early intervention, right? Because we are working with toddlers and they can be very unpredictable and they might want one thing one week and then the next week they want nothing to do with it. This is why I always talk about the importance of following a child's lead. And I think it could be tricky to know how to actually do that without letting go of your own boundaries that you're creating for the child. So when you are following their lead, it's not that you're not doing your strategies anymore. You're basically just changing the activity that you're doing. So maybe you presented a puzzle, but the child wants nothing to do with the puzzle. And instead, they feel like moving their bodies and jumping around the room. So you can tell them, oh, all right, we don't want to do the puzzle right now. That's fine. Let's take a little break. And you follow their lead and jump. And you can model those actions. Jump, jump, jump. Wow, you're going up so high. It's okay to give them those breaks as needed because the more we try to force whatever activity we're presenting, the more the child wants to back away. So whatever interests that they have that can get them to participate with you, no matter what it is, follow their lead and do that because when they are motivated to hang out with you and play back and forth, that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter what the activity is, but more so that they are participating. And that's another reason why when we talk about bagless therapy, it's benefiting both you and the child because now you don't have to carry all this stuff and you're forced to follow the child's interests. Now, I know there are times when the child just 
doesn't want anything to do with you at all. And in those moments, just give them some space and some time. You don't have to keep trying to get their attention and keep presenting thing after thing. Just say, all right, you don't feel like talking right now. And you can use this time to really coach the parents, talk to the parents about what's been going on lately, how you can um, incorporate strategies within their daily routines. Just chat with the parent and start from there. Or you can even bring out one of the toys and then you start playing with the toy. This could be one of the child's toys and you just start playing by yourself. And that often will get them interested to see, okay, what is she doing? And then when they do come over and are interested, try to be very calm about how you're reacting to them, how you're responding. So it's not like right when they come over, you're like, wow, you came over. Yay. Amazing. Because that sometimes can overwhelm them. So just let them come over, give them that soul. I don't know if you remember me talking about soul, but what that is, S-O-U-L is silence, observation, understanding, and listening. And this is a good technique to use with our kids because we're giving them that silence to be able to process everything we're saying. We're observing them. We're giving them that understanding, that respect, and we're listening to them. So it's less overwhelming and overbearing when we're just like hovering over them and giving them all the compliments, all the verbal models. Sometimes we need to know when we need to back off and just give them that time and space. Next question, what do you do when a child does not want to end an activity? This is like the opposite of that other question because that other child didn't want anything to do with you and now this one is just having so much fun that they don't want things to end. They don't want to clean up. Maybe you're a parent and they don't want to leave the park. In these cases, we want to give children a fair warning before we actually rip the activity out of their hand or immediately grab them and leave the park. What I like to tell parents is to give children maybe like a 10 minute warning and then, I mean, not like a warning, like something scary, but more like, hey, we're going to leave the park in 10 minutes or we're going to start cleaning up soon. So you're giving them these expectations in small increments of time. So first you're doing it at 10 minutes and then maybe at seven minutes, hey, we're going to leave soon five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, and you can start to give them longer times in between as they start to get used to these expectations that you're providing. But we want to give them fair warning before we just abruptly end things so they won't feel so tricked like, oh, we were having so much fun and now you're just taking it away so soon. Okay, so that's step one, giving them expectations. Step two is if you're doing, if you're giving them the warnings, but then they still don't want to leave or clean up at the end, you can provide them with options. And so options are a great way to put them in control because you are letting them choose, except they don't really know. It's not really their choice. It's still within your boundaries because you're providing what those options are. So for example, they don't want to leave the park. Okay, here are your two options. Would you like to walk to the car or do you want me to pick you up and carry you to the car? So notice how there is no negotiation there. We don't negotiate with toddlers. We don't want to bribe them either because while those things may work short term, they won't carry over long term. So you want to um, provide these boundaries so that it will be easier in the long run for both of you. The child knowing what to expect, you holding that boundary strong is actually 
going to be comforting to them instead of it's all over the place. Sometimes we negotiate. Sometimes she bribes me and I get my way. We, we don't want to provide all of that confusion. So would you like to walk to the car or would you like to be carried to the car? Do you want me to help you put the puzzle away or do you want to do it yourself? Should we put them in this box or do you want to put them in the bag? There are ways to make things fun without feeling, um, without them feeling like they don't have any control. And, you know, because our toddlers, they really want to feel a sense of power. They don't get to control a lot of things in their lives. You know, we pick what they eat, what they wear, what they're doing. So anytime you can provide options that are, that are within reason, within your boundary, do that. And it, will help them feel uh, more control. Next one is, what do I do if I feel like parents are judging me? I feel like they're watching the session and not sure how to handle. So I can really speak to this on both sides because I've been the therapist, the SLP, and I mean, I'm a new parent and granted, Olivia doesn't get early intervention right now, but maybe I can speak to why parents may seem a certain way while you're doing the session. If you're an SLP in early intervention, you are typically the first therapist that a family has maybe ever worked with because our uh, age group is so young, zero to three. So that can just be really scary for new parents. They may have so many worries about, is my child ever going to talk? Are they going to be able to socialize with their peers? You know, all of these things that we have in our head that we want our children to be able to do one day and to be able to succeed. So I think that they're having all of these imaginary scenarios play in their head. And that can just, you know, you want the best for your child. So If a therapist is coming in for the first time into your home and working one-on-one with your child, maybe a parent just feels on edge and wants to make sure that they are getting the best therapy that they possibly can get for their child. Now, on the other hand, being an SLP in this situation, it can be nerve-wracking as well because now you're coming into someone's home and especially if you're a new SLP and maybe you don't have all of the confidence or those important learning lessons yet. And it could be, I get it, it's really scary and in early intervention, when you have families in the room with you, it's extra pressure, Um, but I think on both ends, we need to have understanding and respect for each other. Um, you know, I think parents trusting SLPs to to go that extra mile for your child because SLPs do have that professional knowledge and the background and we're trained in speech and language in ways that may not seem so obvious because we are sitting on the floor and it may seem like we're playing, but there are methods to the madness. Uh, so I kind of jumped around with this question, but I think that If you feel that parents are judging you, just take a deep breath. Okay, that sounds so um, like dumb. Just take a deep breath. But I mean, take it easy and just know that there's a reason why you may feel that they're judging you. And it might not be that they're judging you. They're just nervous about what's going on with their child. So as much as you can provide education about what you're doing and why you're using these strategies and 
how the research backs it up and then also giving them strategies to use and carry over at home. It's just about keeping them in the loop and being a team with them. So being very open to questions and um, listening to the parent concerns. The more that you are open to work together, there's going to be more of a trust there. And as you get to know each other, it will just feel more um, natural. So again, I think it just takes understanding on both sides from the SLP and the parent. We're all doing the best that we can. Now, that doesn't mean that it always works out this way because sometimes certain people just may not get along and sometimes a therapist is not the right fit for a certain family. So I think you know, give it time and express your concerns on both ends. Uh, But if it's something that you feel in your gut is not working out, you can always reach out to the early intervention agency and express your concerns and and, uh, take it from there. But I definitely recommend giving it some time because progress takes time. It really takes that consistency, the effort from both the SLP and the families to carry over these strategies. And we really need to have faith that it will work. And after a couple of sessions, it's kind of impossible to know. And, you know, it's like some parents say, well, how long is my child going to need speech therapy? And that's a question that's so um, vague because, or it's, it's not something that can be answered specifically. Every child learns at their own pace. And it also depends on how much carryover is being worked on. It also depends on what strategies are provided and how the SLP or the parent is able to pivot throughout sessions and all that. So there are a lot of components that it's impossible to say, okay, this is the exact prognosis. But the key is to trust in the process and to trust each other um, and to both go the extra mile to do what it takes for the child. And if certain methods are not working, go back to the drawing board, go back to the research, express your concerns. Um, You know, if you're a parent, tell the SLP what your concern is and you can let them know this isn't working for our family. And If you're an SLP, if you get those concerns, then you go back and see, okay, what what do I need to modify during the sessions? Am I really truly following the child's lead or am I just trying to make fetch happen when it isn't going to happen? (laughs) Just kidding. So yeah, just remember, it's about trusting the process, whether you're an SLP or a parent. It takes time, consistency, and just have faith in each other. All right, so that's all the time we have for today's episode. Olivia is waking up shortly from her nap and I have to go get her. But if you guys like these episodes, I can always do another Q&A one. I really like doing them and being able to see your questions and connect that way. If you want to learn more about early intervention, I have three courses available. The first one is the early intervention course for SLPs. This one I truly poured my heart and soul into. I took every single thing I've ever learned and the mistakes and all of that. I put it into 10 sections. There are bonus sections as well about goal setting. And I have everything from seeing a child at daycare, how to handle that, how to write session notes. I have examples of that, how to coach parents, what to do to prep for your first session. I've just put everything that I wish I had before I started early intervention because graduating 
from grad school and going straight into early intervention sessions with no experience, um, that was really scary. So if I had this type of guide with me, um, I would have really liked it, which is why I even created the course. So that's the big course that I have. And then the next one is the essentials course, which is kind of like the sister course to the early intervention one. This one, I broke down the most common mistakes um, and most common scenarios that we encounter as early intervention SLPs. And I run through them, like I go through all of the details. So for example, one of the common scenarios we experience is toddler tantrums, how to handle that from start to finish. Uh, Another common thing we go through is when um, parents don't want to be involved or they, you know, they don't buy into what speech therapy is. I have that. So there's like a bunch of different things in there and I just go into detail about them. And then I also have a mini course for parents and that's all about what to expect from early intervention services, what should your SLP be doing, and how you can get the most out of those sessions, and then also figuring out how to transition them from early intervention to the next speech service that you get. So I put, you know, important questions to ask, what to look out for, what to say during certain meetings. So I put all of that in my courses. I will have the link to find all of those courses in the show notes of this episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Talk Tea podcast. I will be back every Thursday with new episodes all about speech therapy, parenting, baby stuff, If you have any specific topics you want me to talk about, feel free to DM me over on my Instagram at TalkTeaSpeech. As always, you can find me there and you can also find me at my website, TalkTeaSpeech.com. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and I'll talk to you next week.